Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Dennis Kavanaugh, a former criminal barrister, now a legal commentator and one of the directors of the Gay Men's Network, an organization established to fight modern forms of homophobia and provide advocacy from a gay male perspective. He also blogs about matters affecting gay people. I welcome Dennis Kavanaugh to Savage Minds. I came to know of you because of your work in creating Gay Men's Network and some of the sound yes. bites I'd heard of you. I agreed and I thought, yeah, this is like many years ago when this, when for me it began 10 years ago. I kept thinking, mm. but how is anyone really duped into believing someone actually changes sex? I kept thinking, like, am I in an upside down world? What's going on? <laughs> am I the only one knows that gravity exists and that we're not floating up like kites? You know, like, I started to really question the sanity of learned people. Yes, well, it's very emperor's new clothes, isn't it? The, and and the, the, the gender wars very much have that feeling to them. There's a sort of conspiracy of silence that we could... It's much like the Leah Thompson uh, thing with the swimming pool. Everyone knows precisely what they see, but under pain of... Uh, the most egregious cancellation. One is is forbidden from saying that which is obvious, and before your eyes, which you know is, is humorous on one level, but of course it recalls the very sinister um, parts of 1984, doesn't it? The party's final command was that you couldn't say uh, what uh, what you saw with your own eyes or what you heard with your own ears. So. I agree with you. I've, I've, oft, I've often found it utterly absurd because it is so entirely contrary to what, um, to, to, uh, I'll say, I suppose I'll call them the other side, call lived experience. It's so contrary to that doctrine to say you must entirely reject your lived experience in praise of the new gender gods. Um, and, and there are so, so many examples of this, you know, you, we don't detect sex in the womb anymore. You're assigned male or female at birth. I mean, this is obviously absurd. Um, it, you know, it's just, it doesn't bear a moment's scrutiny. And, and the load bearing weight of gender has always been abject, insane irrationality. And it's, I, I think it's now crumbling, but it is a miracle. It's a miracle, or, or perhaps the opposite of a miracle, I'm not quite sure what that is, a curse perhaps, um, that it's been allowed to obtain for quite so long. Um, and it's obtained, it seems to me, primarily through the sort of instruments that one often finds in dictatorships, namely censoriousness, um, you know, the modern phrase, cancellation, and silencing people. And this, this seems to me one of the great sadnesses of the modern age. You know, gender needs authoritarianism like a fish needs water. I was thinking back to, okay, John Money moved to the United States from New Zealand to start this career in genderology of sorts, what it would be today of sorts. And you had this emergence of the explanation for effeminate men who may or may not be homosexual, but mm. there was somehow an emerging medical field. And, and I find it troubling, <laughs> this fact, no matter what medical field we're talking about, the fact that there's been an entire machinery put into place to give prognoses based on something that has yet to be taken to full accountability in science. It has not. And 
I worry yes. that this was bootstrapped together on the atomic kitchen era, women sent back from the factories back to the kitchen, but there's, you know, Westinghouse creating the electric blender, be happy, but women were popping Valium in the United States and high numbers, yeah. these housewives, you know, and you've got the whole deconstruction of sex happening right then in the 1950s and then boom, not just Jorgensen, but there were little by little more and more cases of these odd men who dressed up like women, da, 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 as it was, you know, at the time, and then it was a medical issue. And I mm -hmm. think it would be behoove people to think about the mental uh, and, and psychosocial formation behind this idea of gender dysphoria that was built at the height of, of really, the height of sexist culture in, of the 19th, um, 20th century, I'm sorry. So we've got this very yes. strange conundrum of what to do with these effeminate men. But then similarly around the, that same time, if you look at Hollywood, it was all over the place in Hollywood. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, you, you had Elia Kazan, Marlon Brando. You, you had all those um, Billy Wilder films. I mean, can you get gayer than Billy Wilder films? And so you had yeah. a lot of this deconstruction going on already of, of, of preferable sexuality and hidden sexuality and so forth that was unleashed in the 1920s and the early 30s but because of the Hayes Act that had to go away no longer could couples be seen kissing even on a sofa without one foot on the floor etc all those odd rules that kicked into place yes and now I'm thinking about art this is why I'm thinking about our gay culture what happened to it 1980s is when I came into being an adult and the 90s also a beautiful era for those who went clubbing in Chelsea, New York's Chelsea. No, it was the it was the best. It was the best. It was the best. It was the sweet spot, you know. Between in the United Kingdom, it was the sweet spot between civil partnerships and um, the age of consent being equalised, and then the adoption of gender in 2015. It was like this wonderful you, you know how the earth is in a sweet spot for life that's the sort of gay equivalent the early 90s i think for gay men and lesbians because prior to that we were either you know filthy aids carriers or our lesbian sisters were the, the only women who would touch us give blood for us or look after us for which us gay men are eternally grateful and then after that of course we have same sex love is is transphobic but so yeah it was it was I'm very much with you on the 90s. I mean, I, w I would just say in, res in respect to the historical stuff there, it, it, it's interesting, of course, that if one analyzes the modern transgender movement, and I've often said this, you, you have in effect the remedicalization of homosexuality. Um, and homophobia is, uh, as I often write, has, has long been noted as a driver, both internalized and externalized for referrals to gender services. It was certainly noted in the United Kingdom in a case called Appleby and Tavistock, where the safeguarding lead of the Tavistock said, look, you know, I mean, I, I, I've quoted this before, but there was it, there was a dark joke amongst staff there. Soon there will be no gay people left. It's, quote, it's like a new form of conversion therapy. But I think the distinction historically is this. Uh, that demonstrates, it seems to me, that there is a degree to which the movement is the remedicalization of homosexuality. And homophobic violence no longer comes courtesy of the wrong end of a jackboot or a Doc Martin. It's back where it's back from whence it came. It's back in surgical theatres. It's back with what I would consider to be almost chemical weapons. I hope that's not too dramatic of puberty blockers. I think given their disastrous effect, perhaps it's not too dramatic. But um, but the point is this, the people who've been medicalized, and this is one of the core things that, that often isn't 
said in this debate are, are the homosexual transsexuals, the sort of people I used to drink with in, in pubs before trans even became a thing. And before people started calling me an awful transphobe. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was, I was drinking with trans people before they decided they were fashionable and that they had pronouns. Um, but I think that's very much true of the American example. Because, the, the, you know, the boys that ended up the American equivalent of section, so institutionalized, and the boys who ended up medicated were not the Hermann Goering style AGP type um, trans, uh, uh, transgendered persons, I suppose one would call them. The, the visitation of medical punishment has always been located um, at the male homosexuals. And the difference today, of course, is that it is now unleashed I think with some fury as against the female homosexual, because when one looks at these gender clinics and the exponential rise, I think the figure at the Tavistock is between 2009 and 2019, there's a 5,000, that's 5,000% 5, rise in females presenting. Um, and, and, and that's just extraordinary. And that's what I think disconnects this phenomenon to some degree from, from where we've been up to this point, the, the ravenous misogyny um, of this movement that makes little girls overwhelmingly um, autistic, overwhelmingly lesbians, overwhelmingly kids who, we, we would call them care leavers in, in the United Kingdom, people who people have been looked after by local authorities. That's the distinction and that, that's what makes it quite unlike um, anything like the threats the gay community has ever faced before and that's what makes it such a pressing emergency. What is it do you think driving this will as you spoke earlier today on Twitter with me about the culture of, of silence that surrounds this ideology what do you think is driving this especially amongst our team it's a bit odd that we faced the AIDS crisis um, thanks to produce inhibitors. It's now treatable, it's survivable, but there were many years where we lost. I lost so many people, so many yeah. people. And, and that was yeah. horrific to live through. And then you wake up and then it seems like blink. The next thing after AIDS was gender. It was- it Doesn't a, it just? Yeah, it, it happened in the late nineties in the States, in New York. I saw this and I remember thinking, yeah. what do these people have to do with sexuality? This is totally, these are two very different issues. Exactly. And then as you probably see a lot of this on social media over the years, people say, well, as a gay person, you should appreciate that you too were once put in the DSM and you were once considered to have a psychological disorder. And to that, I can say, well, we can argue the DSM up and down. There are a lot of historical arguments against these kinds of codifications, because as we see, they change. But there's this raises huge sociological issues throughout uh, medical and psychological private history as well. But the way in which we perceive of illness and it being a good thing or a bad thing, you know, we see this all the time where there's a string of, of yeah. shows on TV now all positive about people in AA and I'm thinking, okay, someone's been marketing because I've seen several in a row now already like this. And I'm thinking what's happening that the very community that had its eyes open to the evils of Ronald Reagan mentioning AIDS, the last 
year of his second term oh, of yes. office. You know, he got on Legionnaire's disease mighty fast, but AIDS, no. <laughs> so extraordinary. It is, and then Thatcher. I mean, yes. you know, the, the stories or, of our countries. Yeah. It's just interesting to me mm. to see that we've come from having to fight the shackles of people being fearful often of gay men um and often with women we get the other side of that aside from who's the man um oh God, don't yeah, you have fantasies of men watching you and yeah, <laughs> do you mind God if i well, you know like we, we all dealt yeah. with that stuff right yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. one thing that i noticed in, in talking about in referring to your culture of silence reference today is that I kept thinking about this. What is running this? Is it that a lot of people back during the era of AIDS were themselves homophobes and grew out of it because of the mass media, overwhelming sympathy blanket held to people dying, you know, because a, a gay dying man mm. somehow garnered some sympathy, although Ryan White even more because he was an innocent hemophiliac boy, blah, blah, blah. Michael no, Jackson yeah, stepped that. in, remember? Yep. Well, I'm yep. thinking, why is it that that became codified by the red ribbons. I wore one for a dear friend who died, but then when I saw everyone wearing them in sympathy with people wearing them like me, I thought, okay, I put the ribbon away. Is a lot of this about maybe the the blindness, the over acceptance, the not thinking about science at all in any of this? Is this really, could it be related to the fact that people feel a need to cohere socially over this that it was there's some residue guilt from the aids era and so now people won't question anything and they'll immediately say new sexuality I, I, i'm sure that's correct um and and, and I, I i fear i i, I reached the conclusion that the goodwill that the um gay lesbian bisexual movement built up during the the absolute tragedy of aids um, provides a, a convenient political vehicle for those who might seek to exploit it. And I'm, I'm afraid this isn't a conspiracy. I'm afraid we have extremely good evidence of this in the form of the Denton's document, which you've probably heard of. So advice from a law firm as to how to the effect, how to affect legislative changes on behalf of a fairly extreme biology denying um, prospectus or the transgender prospectus, but it is at root biology denial. It basically denies there's any difference between men and women. And I think when we look at the deployment of silence as an op operational tool, one has to look, um, as Denton's do, partly to the practicality of the matter. And it, it comes to this. There is no popular mandate for many of the extraordinary and extreme changes that this movement seeks to make. And therefore, it has determined that it will consume, exploit, and occupy the space that the gay rights movement does. Um, now, if you're going to do that, and if you're going to, as was the case in Ireland, sneak gender identity onto the books in an Equality Act piece of legislation, the one thing that you don't want as, uh, as the UK demonstrates, I think vividly, the one thing you don't want is lots of stroppy women, gay men and lesbians standing up and saying, hang on a minute, this isn't all right. What you want is to keep them in good silence. And I'm afraid to say that the silence, I think, is, uh, has, a, has a political usefulness because the silencing of opponents uh, is frankly 
absolutely essential if you have no popular mandate for what you are doing and people see what is going on. I would um, pray and aid. You, you can see this again, it, it, iterations and examples of this again and again, to my mind. You can certainly look at the, you know, the mass reporting of Twitter accounts that disagree with biology denial. You could look at Stonewall's response to the government consulting on con the conversion therapy ban, um, where Stonewall launched a campaign called hashtag don't dither so dither very english word for you know don't i don't know if you guys have it you know don't hang around but it was basically don't talk to the public now gender has always been or biology denial has always been temperamentally and i think philosophically ill-suited to the norms of democracy or freedom of speech i don't think it works with freedom of speech i don't i don't think it works in a situation where the crowd, I mean, we go back to back to the old um, story, uh, the, the fairy story. Um, it doesn't work when someone can say the emperor's got no clothes on. G gender requires a, a mass participation um, in schemes of dishonesty to a greater or lesser extent. So the silence is not a prop. It's not an artifact. It's built in. You need people's silence because you need people not to say the truth. You need people to say, oh, actually, it's fine that um, a sex offender male, a male bodied person who is now trans identified can share a cell with a woman. And that is all right. You have to close your eyes to reality. So you can't have gender without silence. You, you can't have gender. I, I've described gender in the past as an engine of unreality. That is what it is. You can't have unreality with reality. Now, the trouble with gender is that it superficially can um, take upon itself the clothes of the gay rights movement. And to go back to your earlier point, say, well, this is just like that. But, 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 but this, I'm afraid, is a subterfuge. And it's not correct because being same sex attracted, as you said before, these are different issues. Being same sex attracted uh, is fundamentally different to uh, struggling with gender dysphoria, which obviously, you know, you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Obviously, there should be high quality treatments for that. Obviously, it's important, but we can't make it Schrodinger's medical condition. It can't at the one time be a civil rights movement that is not a medical condition, and on the other hand, have extravagant demands for healthcare. It's got to be one or the other. And this is the trouble. Gender is gender requires silence and, and gender, which I use as a shorthand for biology denial, um, it, it is always paradoxical. It, 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 it can't, it's unreal, it's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. So, uh, I, I, I think the silence, I, I appreciate you're right in as much as, well, lots of people may well be silent now because they, they feel well, Section 28 and HIV crisis and so on um, has led us to a position where we ought to defer to people who, who have expert knowledge. But I also believe in, in the terms that I've stated that it's been rather cynically deployed to silence enemies, particularly women, of course. Yes, yes. And disproportionately women. The misogyny is rife within this movement. It's uh, I have days. I yes. just I try not to visit this subject too frequently because I find it actually mm. both infuriating and and funny, and because I do have those moments when I'm folding laundry or something. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, <laughs> penis is not female. You know, like it's sort of funny. <laughs> you know, 
I'm glad you could laugh at it, though. That's good. Yeah, my kids have heard me say all sorts of crazy stuff on the phone when I have to speak with people. So. Yeah. Mom, what the hell are you talking about right yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, my daughter will see me looking at a Stonewall lad, and I'm writing about it. Uh, and she says, Mommy, that's a man. <laughs> That's the thing with kids, isn't it? Like kids do just say what they say. And but that can be I, criminalized. I you know, there was that kid in North England that was chastised yes. for misgendering, I believe it was, North North England. That's right. I think, I think it was an autistic boy. Or a, yes. Sorry, I've yes. been corrected on this oh, today. No. I, I should be saying autistic spectrum um, diagnosis, I think, is the right way to phrase that. But ASD, I think I was told today, is the right way to say that. Yes, and he, and he, just, he, just, said, he just said what he said. So, and isn't that interesting when you consider how much of gender it seems to me and biology denial is relentlessly volleyed at children? And I, I do, it's interesting that I, I wonder if that's why they, you know, a cynic might say, well, that's the weak point, isn't it? Kids just saying what they say. Um, but if you, I don't want to be too conspiratorial about it, but I do consider the um, out and out targeting and inappropriate targeting of children um, by, by this movement to, to be quite extraordinary. And, and frankly, were it any other religious movement, it wouldn't be permitted. Um, but ge gender souls aren't religious souls. Well, it is. <laughs> it is a form of religion, honestly. What I see is yeah. that I refer to this in one of my questions to you, I, I was thinking about the recent tie-in between individual psychology and social formation and how a nonsensical ideology with no basis in reality, highly misogynistic and homophobic, has risen to the creme de la creme of Hollywood and numerous media-generated characters on many people's favorite nighttime programs. It's become, ideology has become like ad placement, but instead of Coca-Cola or Pepsi, it's just ideology. And I see this on yes. some shows that I'm liking, then comes the gratuitous trans character on so many yes. shows. And it's, it's weird because you feel like, why are you doing this? Like, I'm just enjoying the yes. narrative and you just did that, you know, damn you Grey's Anatomy. Uh, uh, I mean, this is mind candy TV, but still you can see that mm. there are people who are given tasks of including certain types of tick boxes into narratives, which sort of ruins art on the one hand. Um, I agree. But on the other, there's a bigger question of social programming and why is there no transparency between these message senders and makers and what's happening on the other side of Hollywood. I'd like to know more about that. But I, I think about this because, you know, you mentioned children and they are very prone to this ideology. And you've probably said it. I know I've said it. Had this been going on when I was a kid, I'd be Julian the man, you know, like. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm sure I'd be Denise mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's absolutely right. Just to your point about ruining art, I, I couldn't agree more because you know, and I, you must have noticed this from a gay point of view that, you know, once everything became acceptable and everyone started shoehorning in their gay character, and, and, they, and I have to say, I don't know what the efforts were like where you are, but I found so many of them really forced and laboured and, and unconvincing and, and plainly not, you know, plainly written either by a very nervous gay person or by someone where the, you know, editorial reviewing board had made them an acceptable gay. If, if I compare the sort of trans characters I see now 
to an absolute piece of art like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which has a trans character in it, who is hugely sympathetic, hugely admirable, and above all, real, a real person with real struggles, real tragic, real strengths, real flaws. And it's, it's just, a, it, I think it is a piece of art, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, nobody watched that and said, this is a trans right, this, that, or the other, or, or particularly this is a gay rights, this, that, and the other. It was just a great movie because it told human truths. And that's, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's so different. And I, I, I've spoken to several trans people who, who make the same point, you know, who say, oh, for goodness sake, I wish they'd just leave us alone. And I've had the same experience, and this is where our communities are similar. Um, I've had the same experience watching, um, you know, gay stuff and just think, oh, for goodness sake, you know, can you actually go and speak to a gay man or heaven forbid a lesbian you know um but yeah um and and, and just getting back to, to to your point about it it being a new religion it, it it seems to be undoubtedly these days i don't think you can seriously make an opposition case to that um you cannot um in a generation or two in the west remove religion the societal vibrations as it were the social shapes that religion used to hold um and imagine that they will be different and, and if you look at gender it, it has everything that a religion should have so you have original sin assigned female at birth you have a clerical class who cannot be questioned you have catechisms which are you know set out and tweeted out you have mantras which are repeated and most of all you have heresy um, and, the, and, and you certainly have witch burning. You certainly have that. I mean, I, I, I saw a rather instructive tweet exchange. I won't, I won't name the person the other day where someone said, well, you know, JK Rowling is a, is a terrible person. And then someone, I think rather sensibly said, well, why? What, what has she actually said? And the person responded and said, um, well, I, I don't know, but other people are saying she's terrible and they wouldn't be saying that if she wasn't, which seems to me that we're right back in the 17th century saying, well, I heard she put a curse on the crops and I, <laughs> I heard she'd poisoned the village well and that's good enough for me. So it is, it, it is obviously, it seems to me, a religion. And, and I'm afraid it is a religion of a rather fundamental belt, uh, bent um, or fundamentalist bent, because my goodness, um, although I think it is now crumbling, the punishments for crossing it, particularly a few years ago, were quite extraordinary. And I think probably remain so in many places. In my lifetime, I've seen uh, a large shift in how society has embraced the existence of gay men and women. I remember when I was a child, we had neighbors and people would whisper, they're lesbians. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, there's like, I was a kid. I didn't even yeah. know what the word meant. I'm like, what are they whispering about? But if your car about? breaks down, yeah, yeah. go around their house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but there's so many benefits that, that grew from the AIDS era, the tragedy, but there was yeah. a lot of lessons learned in many respects. But I worry, not just that so many people have been duped. I wrote you today that, you know, over the years, I've had emails from a lot of gay men and, some extremely powerful positions, but afraid to speak out about what's been going on. And they saw it from the beginning as wrong. But 
how yep. can we today get back to, I don't even want to say our roots. I mean, do we want to go back to the 1980s? Although the music, yes. Um, you know, there... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> My wife hates that I that I love the 1980s, but. Uh, oh, you'll get, no argu- you'll get no argument from me. I adore 80s music. So, uh, you know, I had some Alison Moyet on earlier. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> she was marvellous. Yes. She's alive, actually. <laughs> oh she saved my life she's great no yeah. but just oh i just miss you know i think she wrote only you at age 16 she said can you believe that what a talented Amazing. woman yeah just extraordinary right? but that era where people singing weren't even necessarily gay or straight remember abc i thought he was gay for years he's not and like they made music so beautiful you know like, it was like a great era yeah and, and we had you know the most beautiful woman on the planet to my mind i mean i'm not an expert in this but grace jones uh, or david or david bowie and Mm -hmm. do you know what these days they'd be calling them non-binary and do you know do you know what i would say grace jones and david bowie are too cool for that they don't need those labels they don't need that nonsense that this is the thing the whole thing is so heavy and so labored and so much of an advertisement to third parties seeking some sort of social approval for who or what you are, the coolness of the 80s was they just didn't care. Um, they, they just were what they were. I mean, to your question of have we learned the lesson of AIDS, uh, this is, you know, this is, this is a great worry for me. I mean, one of the things we, we talk about in the Gay Men's Network and one of the things we want to try and move this debate once, once please God, we defeat gender, is we do want to, heaven forbid, start talking about things that affect gay men. I mean, we've got um, young gay men being told on the internet and by peers, I'm afraid, right now, oh, don't worry about having sex without a condom because you just go on pills for a day and you'll be fine and HIV is totally manageable, which rather discounts the fact that, you know, these are extremely serious pills. They have extremely serious effects on the liver, we, we have very limited data on what that looks like when you're on them from age 18. And, you know, do, do we really want to be in a situation where, where that is being said to young men? My, my, my view is is no, and we need, to, we need to be talking, as we did in the 80s, about, about safe sex. Similarly, we need to be talking about chemsex, which is a, is a real problem in our metropolitan centres. Uh, it's also linked to extremely violent crime uh, against gay men. And we need to be talking about the policing thereof. But this, I'm afraid, is, is, is the voracious gluttony of gender. It consumes all the airtime. I'd spend so much time talking about, I don't know, Stonewall, for example, say that a cross-dressing man is trans. That's their definition. They say, if you look at the definition of trans, it includes a cross-dressing man. And they follow on from that by saying um, he or, or she, as they would call him, is the most marginalized group on the planet. And therefore, that is the campaign priority. And this strikes me as the world turned upside down. It also strikes me as, I'm afraid, a moral catastrophe, because it is plainly obvious, it seems to me. That what is happening with gay men in, in respect of chemsex, what is spe- happening in respect of gay men um, in, in respect of HIV, also in respect of maintaining and 
defending our sexual boundaries in an era where the internet is grooming young gay men to tell them, no, you must sleep with trans men, otherwise you are hateful. Um, you know, we have we have to turn to these subjects uh, at some point, which is one of the reasons we set up this organisation. We would, I mean, maybe maybe it's a vain hope, <laughs> given given just how given just how expansive the threat from and existential the threat from gender is. But it would be nice, and I'm sure that there must be equivalent subjects for lesbians as well. You know, um, there must be. There must be things that are being neglected. Well, lesbian spaces have barely existed in three dimensions, mm. much less internet sites where I hear story after story about these sites being overrun with men looking to score with lesbians. And of course, you know, fair enough. If if these women wanted that they wouldn't be on a lesbian site and it's a you know women have to yeah. battle and then they just give up and abandon the sites yeah and i read your recent article the black lesbian who threw the first brick at stonewall where you yeah. write quite beautifully about what's at stake in the bailey versus stonewall case i quote you thank you it would seem Alison bailey's day in court could not have come at a better time with stonewall badly hemorrhaging credibility and influence the stars are aligning against gender ideology and they seem to have come out for miss bailey end quote you then go over the case basics. Can you surmise for our listeners what's at the heart of this case? Because many people, well, in the U.S. might not understand that Stonewall is the major gay rights organization, or up to recently in the U.K., now under complete critique and yes. uh, companies and government agencies jumping shit from it. And let's hope this continues. Yes. Um, but it's something that a lot of people from the UK, men of your age and older, were part of of working with or forming. And so it's quite a paradox that the very organization that helped put gay rights on the map in the UK in the late 20th century has been part of the most homophobic and misogynist effort against men and women, lesbians, gay men, you know. It, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Yes, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Um, I suppose for your listeners' assistance, I'll just begin with a brief description of who Alison Bailey is. She's an extremely well-respected um, criminal barrister who, who I've known for donkey's years. She's a black lesbian um, gay rights campaigner um, who, who is uh, well-known, um, who, um, having survived some some pretty terrible uh, abuse uh, as a child put herself through university moved to san francisco was extremely influential um, in the gay rights movement worked in a gay bookshop um, at the height of the aids crisis and uh, i i know and and gay men uh, around the planet will be grateful for her uh, to her uh, for this um, looked after a number of, of gay men during um, that crisis now um, she, um, in I think it was uh, 2019 or, or, or thereabouts, like a lot of homosexual people, such as myself, um, took the view that the threat posed by gender ideology or biology denial um, was such that we needed to advocate for same-sex attraction, which is our protected characteristic in law, because our national charities began to say that they weren't for same-sex attractive people like us anymore. They, they were advocating for people who were say, uh, same gender 
attracted, which which we don't really understand, and it certainly doesn't reflect who we are. In any event, um, she was instrumental in the establishing of our only United Kingdom charity for same-sex attracted people, the LGB Alliance, um, and is a, is a prominent uh, figure in that organization, delivering the keynote uh, address at the um, conference uh, last year, which is available on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it. And it's, it's an epic speech, very well delivered as one might expect from a criminal barrister. But um, what, what, what happened was this, um, shortly after the formation of the charity, the usual, um, or sorry, it was a company at that point, it became a charity later, but um, uh, the, the usual allegations of um, you're a hate group, same-sex attraction is hateful and all of this stuff that we get now followed. And um, we, we know from publicly available disclosure that as a consequence, um, the trans advisory group at Stonewall, who were in a relationship with her chambers, I pause at this point to explain to any American listeners that a chambers is a an association of self-employed barristers. So it's a looser association than employment, but it's close enough that you can bring an employment claim if I put it in that, in that way. Anyway, um, Stonewall, the disclosure from a interim hearing um, seems to suggest, um, took objection to her social media activity and her opposition both to Stonewall as the charity and to um, her general position as to biology denial, and in effect um, questioned whether or not she should be part of the chambers. And I, I, I qualify that by saying um, that that isn't a, an opinion intended to influence anyone. Employment Judge Stout at a preliminary hearing said that the email was capable of being construed as a threat. So I'm not saying anything there that a judge hasn't said. Uh, her claim is this. Her claim is that she has suffered detriments, that is to say she was not preferred for work, and um, she was subject to disciplinary proceedings thereafter, which is correct and beyond doubt, because um, fundamentally and most importantly, because she questions biology denial and believes in same-sex attraction. But on a secondary basis, she says that that is indirect discrimination because she is a, a woman and she is a, a lesbian. And she says that lesbians are, are more likely to hold those views. And, and that is why uh, the first uh, day of evidence in the trial has been cross-examination as to that question. So that is the essence uh, of her claim. The, the claim is fundamentally one about um, the interaction as between a national charity, which um, ostensibly is designed to protect people precisely like Alison and precisely like me, but who we find ourselves very often in opposition with, sadly. And it's perhaps a neat vignette of the schism in gay politics that, that here we are in the United Kingdom with this extraordinary spectacle at a tribunal of a charity that says um, it, it, it is the premier charity for, for gay rights. And there it is facing off against a black lesbian who says, in effect, uh, you did your level best to disadvantage me at work, if not uh, have me removed from my work. That, that's the claim. So it's an extraordinary case. And 
um, it, it, it is one I suspect that will be seismic. Um, in terms of outcome in, in the United Kingdom, because because as you said in, in your introductory question, um, uh, plainly this comes at, at a time of a wider context of Stonewall, um, I hope it's not vain to quote myself, um, but Stonewall hemorrhaging um, credibility and, and, and support. And if that's too flowery, prose and if that's too grand a claim it, it's beyond doubt that the charity has been hemorrhaging members of its quote diversity championship scheme or of which her chambers was a member um it, it, it's it's going to be an extremely um big case it's extremely important um because of course it, it, if she is correct in, in her claim and if, if she's correct in her analysis um, of that email, we, we've arrived at, uh, or, or she will have proved in court that, that we've arrived at a very grim point in the United Kingdom, or at least that obtained in, in 2019, um, which is a charity notionally for gay people um, subjecting a, 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 a lesbian to um, quite, quite, quite extraordinary action. And I think it will also vividly, and I think it is also vividly demonstrating the fault line between gay rights and trans rights, which is long overdue, frankly. The, the fault line as between trans and women's rights, I think is now in the open, but the, the, next, the next area that really needs to be properly examined in the interests of adequately reaching an accommodation between competing rights, is that as between gay and trans rights. So it, that's that's more or less it in, in a nutshell. That's what's happening at the moment. One of the things that strikes me about this movement is I want friends who are easygoing. So if your first order of the day of our friendship is a list of pronouns, I'm gonna head out the back door, you know? I'm just gonna be like, bye, don't, you know, don't miss me because I think life is way too short for this nonsense. I, it reminds me when I was, seven years old, eight years old, and I made tickets and gave them to people in my family so they could go up and down the stairs. But if they didn't have the ticket, I wouldn't let them up, you know, but I was seven. I have an excuse, you know. Now, you, cl you clearly had fascist tendencies. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, or at least bureaucratic. Sorry, yes. I, like, I like it though. It's cute. Well, well you imagine you, 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 you're at a party and you meet someone, you have a good time and they, they like turn to you and say, Dennis, I just have to let you know my pronouns are Zer, Zazum, and Zvavavavum. You know, I would be yeah. like, I'm so sorry. I can't remember what I had for breakfast today. I can't remember your pronouns. Bye, you know? Well, I, I, I agree with all the above that it, it's so heavy. It's so labored. It's so fraught. It produces smiles that are only rictus grins and everyone's slightly awkward and everyone's slightly worried about getting it wrong. And look, what that tells you is this. This is not genuine, spontaneous, fun self-expression. This is a scheme for control, okay? It's about social control and it's about the policing of language. And it is not with great respect to the biology denial movement. It, 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 it is not um, an, a, 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 an example of freedom to say to 
a group of young people. You can have all these fun new identities, but you have to pick one of the ones in the box. Demisexual, pansexual, neurosexual, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Note that there isn't one for homosexual, and note that they have one for asexual, which is their new monastic class. That tells you something very deep about this. And what it tells you is that this is a prescription for personality by numbers. And the prescription is burdened heavy with the fact that it is corporate sponsored and state approved. Nothing produced by Stonewall and Pals hasn't been through seven or eight marketing committees. None of these things came from the street. None of these things are organic. These are adults telling children, here are a set of boxes that we could put you in. And so it doesn't produce wild, spontaneous people. It produces personalities um, by numbers. And, and this is not the fault, of course, of these children, because these children are being force fed this nonsense. And they're being told you have to have a pronoun and you have to have a flag and you have to have this and you have to have that. But the, the prescription that it is offering is, is, is it's markedly absent um, in, terms, in terms of happiness. Um, and, and in terms of, just going back one to, to, you, to your point about the, the increase in females, we have to, I think, take very seriously Abigail Schreier's quote about, you know, girls are fleeing womanhood because it's a burning building. And we have to go back to our religious example and, and observe this. Humans have worshipped everything that they see around them. They've worshipped the sun in the sky. They've worshipped the, the devil in the deep. They've worshipped what they see. And biology denial and gender can only really make sense if you see it in a constellation of concepts as to what we see. And what we see and what children see at the moment are the body beautiful, mass gym membership, and pornography. Gender doesn't exist without the perfect Barbie Ken dolls type bodies of porn. It, it, is, it is, as I've said before, it is the quintessence really of an aesthetic flesh cult because it believes in flesh sacrifices and it depends and it places great value on flesh and on clothing, but it's in a failed aesthetic cult because the aesthetics it tends to produce tend to look like unhappy, depressed, badly dressed people in untidy bedrooms. And that goes back to your point about the awkwardness of this. This is producing, I think, a deep level of unhappiness. And the trouble that, you know, a cynic might say that the problem is, is there and clear. Deep levels of unhappiness do produce people who resort to the wastelands um, of the internet to download an identity and a community that makes them happy. And I, I fear that that is what we've done with biology denial. We've stuck kids in front of tablets and out on Reddit forums and into the wilds of the internet. And they've been left to the mercies of people um, filling their heads um, with, with things, frankly, that are a prescription for adolescent depression. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing 
We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. I've seen this over the years. I've been working on this issue where you have some very potentially very emotionally disturbed people being empowered by this anonymity of social media and they're able to go out, preach, speak their truth, tell women how to be better women, how to be, remember all those auto straddle and bustle headlines, the listicles of 10 ways to be a trans ally. And you read through this stuff and it's absolute shite. It's, <laughs> it's, it's right wing ideology for syncophants of, of idiocy. I mean, it's, it blows my mind how many people try to argue. I mean, I was arguing 10 years ago with people and it was like, well, that's, that's her social presentation, her gender presentation. That's not her identity. That's different. And you're like, wait a sec. You, they can't argue themselves out of a few tweets, but it's wrapped yeah. up in this magical language of my my own truth. I'm going to share you my truth. Everything yeah. that sounds weepy and deeply, like almost like it was a Grey's Anatomy dialogue, you know, and they speak very forcefully and everything's yeah. real. And it's like, wait a second. Since when do people have to sacrifice everyone's real? Like, why can't, you know, if you want to call yourself Tiffany, I'll call you Tiffany. Pronouns, I've taken another tack on. I won't do it. I think yeah. all those years when I was in gay bars in the West Village and people would be like girlfriend and I'd go, ha, ha, ha. Then I realized, well, there is a lot of misogyny. Like I had to sort of reevaluate my own relationship to drag because I really yeah. got into drag when I was in my early 20s. And then, you know, I've, I've written a lot about drag. I've written a lot about drag a la Greta Garbo and Marlene Dietrich, especially, especially and uh and their real life hollywood interactions um but it's quite fascinating that you know all of this sort of went over my head and years later as you get older as a woman you begin to see the misogyny fall out of the woodwork because it's everywhere mm. especially as you get older to quote gracie and frankie see there was a great yeah. line when jane fonda said it was just the other week no one will pat down an 82 year old even if you beg them <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, she was worried about smuggling drugs and so yeah, yeah. you know i'm just thinking well the misogyny's reared its its ugly head as i get older i'd never saw things like this and i did not ever see anything like this when i was 23. so I was blind. And yes, all those women saying, watch out, you'll see. Okay, they were right. But how do we communicate this knowledge to my younger self? Because I wasn't ready to hear it. And, and that's well, even, aside mean, from the gay issue, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you need to, though. But it, 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 just, it, just for this reason, I, I think drag today, which I considered in the United Kingdom to be very Americanized drag, is fundamentally different. To, to, to what it used to be. I mean, drag in the United Kingdom in, say, the 1990s was lit. The joke was it was a bloke in a dress, and and it and it you know it was a bloke in a dress. Now that is extremely different to. I, I turned on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, and there was some wholly talentless, loudmouth, you know, biology denying, of course, type person who was in a bikini and, you know, just didn't tell a joke, didn't have any wit, didn't 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 make anyone laugh but just rolled on the floor in sexual positions and 
And I said to my husband, I've got to turn this off. This is misogynist nonsense. This guy just thinks women are, are, are sex toys. This is really, this isn't the drag that we used to go and watch when we used to do drag queen bingo back when we were t- in our 20s, right, you know. Right. Or, or, I should say attender. <laughs> I'm not pretty enough for drag. But, you know, the, the, the drag of when I was younger was almost, was was very much a sort of love letter by gay men to strong mothers. And the joke was never that the drag queen was um, promiscuous. It, it was that the drag queen was formidable. It was this, It was almost like an homage to the gay male adoration of the strong mother figure. Now, what I see today is quite different. And when I look at gender and its iterations and what biology denial does with people, I, I think appropriating um, womanhood, it produces pornified versions of women. So I think we're dealing with a different beast right now. I'm not sure you need to go back and say anything to yourself um, back at, back in New York, because I, I just think this has morphed into something that is very much more internet age. It's your five minutes of fame. It's talentless, it's vulgar. It's unpleasant, it's witless, it has nothing to say. So what it does, because it has nothing to say, is it just shocks, like people on Twitter who have nothing to say, just shock people, they're just offensive. And um, just going back to, to your, your point about you know, gender identity and the Grey's Anatomy type dialogue, I, I would just say this, I, I, I want a definition of gendered identity outside of stereotypes and I haven't heard one and I'll tell you the reason I think I haven't heard one the reason I think I haven't heard one is that no one will say to me I have a gender identity which is that of the opposite sex because I hate my body and I think that's what this is really about um, particularly for young people and that subject is not talked about the fact that a good deal of this assigned male at birth, you've got the wrong body type chat. The fact that we do not, in this debate, recognize that children are being encouraged to hate their own bodies, when frankly, particularly as teenagers, and we've all been there, you need no assistance with that. Um, That I'm afraid I reserve the word evil for, because the degree to which um, this ideology is telling children that the only way to be happy is to become lifelong medicalizations, uh, sorry, is to subject themselves to lifelong medicalization, become lifelong patients, um, all of which is premised on a hatred of their body or a part thereof, that seems to me an extremely serious social harm. And given that it is disproportionately affecting homosexuals and of that subset disproportionately affecting lesbians, you know, again, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but well, surprise, surprise, no one's talking about it because it's just the gay kids. You know, I'm afraid I do think that in my darker moments. It does. As I used to say a lot on Twitter, it's almost as if sex were real because we see who's suffering, right? And and it is, and I don't think it's cynical at all. I think it's quite realistic given the evidence before us. And not only Sonia Appleby, but you had 
all of those clinicians who spoke out and they had to wait many, many months and in some cases years to have their story told. But this is a medical scandal of immense proportion. As I said earlier, just stepping back to the fact that this emerged in the 1950s is based on zero science. John Hopkins Clinic closed itself in the 1980s because it failed to produce a, a valid conclusion to the question that they were facing regarding gender identity disorder. I'm sorry, that was 1979. 1979, they closed their case. And then in the 80s emerged this new add-on. Now, Mm. I do think we do have to go back, and in the same way we questioned shock therapy due to some very high-profile films that came out in the late 50s and early 60s, that revolutionized the mental health care in institutes in the United States to get uh, real and to stop keeping locked up as if in a medieval dungeon. Now, yes. and you had the famous cases of Francis Farmer that went on to be documented and, you know, part of a late, larger shakedown of mental health care. The same thing happened uh, in Italy in the 1960s in the hospital in Trieste. And so you had a lot of people just questioning what's the right way to deal with mental health issues. Now, no one wants to see people put in asylums, etc. But I think yeah. the pendulum in accepting mental health as somehow a and as what is clearly mental health for some, a social contagion for many, and that this is not being seriously addressed by the medical and psychological boards that ought to be addressing this and revamping it all, as Sweden has done. Sweden has taken ten steps back this past year, if you've noticed. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I, in Norway, I think it's following as well. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's, fright, it, it's frightening to me. I, I, I must say the older I get, the less and less I trust the medical establishment, because if I look over, you know, the, the various eras of, of gay history and I, I look at all the interaction of your average homosexual with, with the medical establishment, it, it doesn't fill me with confidence. Now, um, the, the High Court in this country, in a case brought by um, detransitioner Kira Bell against the Tavistock, our gender clinic, um, noted, you know, said, why aren't you co- collecting data um, on this? Because it does seem from our evidence there's a disproportionate rise in, particularly in girls, particularly in autistic um, children across the cohort. And, and we also have good evidence that most of these kids, if left alone, um, grow up to be gay, and it, 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 it's extraordinary. If one reads Appleby and Tavistock, if, if one reads the CQC, the Quality and Care Commission, which is our national regulator for hospitals, report into the Tavistock, which graded them as inadequate, it's extraordinary if you listen to Dr. Az Hakim um, and his speech to LGB Alliance conference, where he said, I've spoken to people backstage at gender clinics. I've spoken to them about... Um, this and and they have said to me, well, you know, homosexuality is basically a medical problem anyway, isn't it? And you know, I'm I'm not of the medical world, but I have to say, when Dr. Hakim said that, it absolutely chilled me because it it, it it fulfilled every all of my darkest fears about what is actually going on here, which is to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's just you know, oh, she's probably lesbian anyway. What does it matter if she has a double mastectomy if it makes her happy? So what? So what if she's learned it in school? It's easier to go along with this than it is to question this. It's easier to be silent or to be a coward. And and I think that 
that this is the point about the gender wars, isn't it? It throws into sharp focus indelibly, I think, who the heroes and villains are somewhat. And goodness me, didn't it um, take some courage for Sonia Appleby, I note in passing another black woman standing up, uh, like Alison Bailey, like Kira Bell, standing up against gender ideology mm -hmm, and saying, mm -hmm. saying, no, this is, this is not right. I will blow the whistle um, on this. So um, it's, um, it, it, it's striking to me that um, it, it, it seems to me that it is, I think, naive for any homosexual um, in particular, to to place faith in doctors, as uh, I mean, I, I I sort of hold this view generally as to sort of left right politics, doctors, all sorts. I, th I think we very much are our own special category, and all the others are informed by heterosexuality. Um, but that you know, that's my own private sort of view. Um, but I do think it's true in medicine that my goodness, um, one has to exercise some caution. Um, because if one looks at what's happening to or and what has happened to lesbians like um, Kira Bell, I mean, frankly, I wonder if this was another minority, uh, would there be more interest in it? These are very good questions, because uh, one of the things that I dealt with when I first wrote about this nine years ago, I interviewed Has As Hakim. He was yep. one of the people I went straight to because I was a bit overwhelmed by what had been going on in London. I was based in London and I was like, yeah. why is no one stepping up to defend Suzanne Moore and, and Jimmy yeah. Birchall for their quite entertaining pieces? And Wonderful you know, women. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and the Love writing. Love them both. Oh, well, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And then I was yeah. writing on this piece and then I interviewed as and I said to him, but why is it that I'm seeing a trend within this transgender community of people actually believing that they literally have changed sex? And this is a real, nine years ago, a big part of the debate was that it is phobic to perceive a man as male. Okay, regardless of how yeah. he chooses to dress. And so as said to me, I can put your hand in cold water, but I cannot force you to feel it as warm. And he's talking about the way that culture society at large reacts to people. And we react to people who've had all sorts of medical procedures. It doesn't mean that someone leaving the hospital with a cast on their arm, someone's going to say, that looks great, or that people will necessarily believe that the fiction that is being handed to them and i think this is part of the problem is that psychology doctors etc have not thought through these processes from the 1950s to the present when people are being asked to go along with this medical fiction because in the 50s there was no going along with these people were often reviled lived in fear you know the story but at the same time there's a big difference between letting someone dress how they wish, call themselves how they wish, and having the choice to not fall into the fiction of you look dashing today, you, you know, Heather. And I just think we are being forced into this role that I did not sign up for. I don't want to be framed within someone's fantasy window, as it were. Well, also, you know, if we are going to adopt what I consider to be a misplaced transubstantiational belief, which I, I pause there to say, well, aren't we now at the pinnacle of religion to say that if, if, if we are going to completely deny biology, 
And I, I, I think of Lord Winston on question time saying, uh, as he did rather famously in the United Kingdom, you know, you, as a scientific fact, you cannot change sex. That's a professor of biology. Um, but if, we, if we're going to do that, can we just look at what actually happens? Because what actually happens, certainly in the UK, is people end up with the sex marker they desire on their medical forms. And then we've had several instances of people not called in for the screenings that are appropriate to their biological sex, and it's done them real harm. So it's not just the social um, pretense and the social requirement that even um, a non-Catholic, as it were, of the gender religion signs up to transubstantiation. It's the fact that this religion, which considers so many human bodies, in my view, collateral damage, acceptable to be sacrificed on the altar to the gender flesh gods, it, 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 it's not just the kids getting surgery. You know, it's not just the kids on, on chemicals that were given to sex offenders or to gay men to chemically castrate them in the 50s. It's that the very adherents of this religion are badly served by this. And, and this is, frankly, um, the absolute antithesis of rational medicine, because it's one thing to say, and, and you spoke about pronouns earlier, it's one thing to say socially, I shall make such accommodations as I think are good manners. And it's one thing to say these are niceties that I shall observe. But it's quite another thing to say, oh, I didn't call this person in for a life-saving appointment because the information is wrong. And I'm sorry, the point where the information is wrong, I, I frankly, I don't care about the gender debate. I don't care about you know, all, all the Twitter rows or all the legislation or anything. At the point where someone is going to undergo serious harm, because we are not calling things, calling people what they are, this is a moral catastrophe. And the fact that it's got to this point, and the fact that it's, it's got to this point under medics who, who are supposed to do no harm, and uh, under governments in a society who say we ought to act rationally shows us that this is a, not only a moral catastrophe, but a catastrophe of, uh, and a collapse in rationalism. Um, you know, gender, I think, looks very much like the end of the Enlightenment and the reversal of the Enlightenment and the gateway to transhumanism and the gateway to the human body as a consumer good. And the gate, I, I tell you, what, if gender wins, what comes next will be very much worse in, in, in my view. And it makes, I think, the urgent moral case um, to say, look, we, 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 you know, we rejected, certainly in the United Kingdom, we rejected, I mean, I speak as a lapsed Catholic, but we rejected transubstantiation some time ago. Yet here it is again. And, and this is not an innocent question as to that which spiritually occupies the communion wafer. This is a question that means that someone doesn't get called in for a screening that they need in order to be well. And it, I, I don't understand how people can be okay with that position because it's, and, 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 I, and I laugh, I'm, I'm not seeking to make light of it, but I'm, um, I, I'm struck by the absurdity of it. I had a story that was posted in a group I'm in today, 
Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It speaks volumes yeah. as to what's going on in the UK. My 60-year-old partner had to go into hospital for day surgery yesterday. While there was a nurse filling out his forms, she asked him if he was pregnant. I'm not even joking. He said he looked at her with a raised eyebrow and asked her what she thought. Did she think he might be pregnant? (laughs) He rolled her eyes and said they have to ask, but she thought it was unlikely that he was. Royal Bournemouth (laughs) Hospital. (laughs) Oh, could you imagine if he'd said yes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is the point, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 you always get this tension, don't you? It's, it, 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 whenever one watches any form of fascism, it's always ludicrous because it has no connection to the rational, to the human, to the decent, to the everyday. It's always a very fraught exercise in its ideology. And this is the reason all the Nazi... Um, group exercises with buff young men always come off as really gay, <laughs> even though the regime, you know, um, put put gay men to death. Um, it, it, and 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 that's a paradox, of course. And and here we have the the paradox, don't we? You know, extremist fascistic movements often lean into lunacy. And and there we have it. I I I just think you should reply to that though and say, tell him to say yes. <laughs> tell him to say <laughs> Tell him to say yes, but I don't know who the father is because I've I've had such a good two weeks or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I have to say when I'm asked lunatic questions, I try to give lunatic answers. And I think it's a good it's a good prescription for social chaos because this lot have no sense of humor. So that's my advice, listeners. <laughs> Comedians found this out. Dave Chappelle has been speaking about this, a lack of humor mm. that's going on, not just around this movement, but in general. I, yeah. I do have to say I've learned a lot from the more conservative folks fighting next to me. I'm not a conservative, but I've, yeah. I've really begun to appreciate some of the finer details I've missed in recent years over uh, basically my thoughts on what are left, right, uh, formations. I think all that's been exploded. And yeah. when we see, you know, Fox News touting the needs of the working class and the poor, I know something's wrong. So no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very strange thing. But like, can we jump to something that I tapped up upon earlier, but the idea of maybe will there be a renaissance of gay art coming out of this pushback? Because one thing that has suffocated me in all this is desire. Um, I'm thinking of the fact that we have a lot of television, as you mentioned earlier with the odd character here or there that's gay, lesbian, whatnot. We have these scenes of people kissing each other. Okay, but it's all about like sex and demonstrating the certain kind of affection or hypersexuality. But very rarely do we see on TV or in film the in recent years, gay desire as per the era you and I were speaking of earlier in the early 90s. And even I'm thinking back to Derek Jarman's wonderful work on this from much earlier than the 90s. And The Garden, I mean, is there a greater film? I just love The Garden. But yeah, I do too. It's just like that era of I'm gay, you know, even the passion that was in My Beautiful Laundrette. I mean, there was Oh, I love that movie. Right? Yeah, I mean, And what's happened that today now everything has become about simulation, a simulacra of a empty stereotype that no woman resembles. 
I agree with you, and I, th I think I think the reason is this: G gender is a form of social fascism, and social fascism produces people who observe rules, who are anxious to observe such rules, who, as I've I've said, have rictus and unconvincing grins, whose wit and spontaneity is carefully curtailed, um, and uh, either by censors or by themselves censoring themselves. So it it it, it is no surprise to me whatsoever that there is a marked deficit of anything approaching good gay art um, as a result for this because this movement is quintessentially and fundamentally suppressing true gay desire. Any movement that tells you that the word homosexual, so that raw sexual desire which we shouldn't be ashamed of, which we feel as homosexuals, and it's safe for heterosexuals of course, um, any movement that tells you that that is bad um, or in some way hateful will not produce art and, and it'll do what fascism always does. Fascism never produces um, art, poetry, or great songs. It, it, it simply produces anime Boku. in this Boku case. Anime. Um, memes. Um, so just in just endlessly repeated memes, right. and it produces what they're based on, which is pornography. That's the only thing it can produce. It can produce porn, but it can never, never, never produce art. And I think it's important to recognise particularly for homosexual participants in this debate, the vital power that art, poetry, literature actually has. Um, I, I, I have a website, not my substack, um, it's denniskavanagh.net, where I sometimes do poems, and I do poems about gay love, and particularly about what it is to be a man, to love another man, to have a body that mirrors your own, and to, to love male socialization, to love, you know, the stupidity and the bravery and the gender nonconformity of men. And mm -hmm. I speak as a man who, who adores gender nonconforming men. And um, it's interesting that I found that um, posts such as those are the ones that have produced the most contacts from gay men saying, you know, you're actually writing about it. You're writing about mm -hmm. what I feel, what what I think. Right. And we do, you know, we do need that. We, 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 we need that outlet. And, that's, and this is, uh, I think, one of the great cruelties, the swinging cruelties of gender. That's always been a, a strength of um, gay rights. Gay rights often found its mm. way out of right. criminalization, being beaten up on the streets, being hospitalized, being correctively raped, being chucked out of your house, um, being left on your own in an AIDS ward. We found our way out of these things through through arts and through self-expression and through song and, and all the sorts of things that one associates, you know, um, our, our minority communities with. And it's interesting, is it not, the degree to which that's been blunted by biology denial, the degree to which that's been blunted by the heavy weight of um, something that says, well, you can have an OnlyFans um, in, in, in which you we can, you know, use that as leverage to make various prostitution arguments, which they do. Um, rather than we'll we'll produce a work of art that stands the test of time. I'm not aware that gender has done so, and when I read the books, which I I do infrequently, of the acolytes of gender, what I find is prose, frankly, um, 
never mind whether it's art or not, oh, it, it's almost impossible to pass think, in the first place. Are you thinking about Judith because Butler? It, it's got its own... Well, I mean, she's the, <laughs> yeah, she, she, she undoubtedly is, is, is the queen of that, isn't she? And I'm reminded of the Douglas Murray quote, <laughs> prose that bad has to be hiding something. And I think it is. I, th I think it's hiding the fact that it's yeah. apologia for, um, you know... We remember that queer theory was was authored by a, a group of French paedophiles who, who wanted to say all sorts of things about breaking down boundaries. And 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 all I see in um, you know the family tree or, or, of writers thereafter is prose which is frankly impenetrable and easily forgotten. And and I don't think stands the test of time. I mean, I know that I, th I think one author. Um, said, you know, um, this, that and the other about being non-binary and then recently said, I'm non-binary and I'm a woman. And, you know, I mean, it, it does seem, as I say, oh, wait, sometimes... Oh, wait, this wasn't the latest the uh, Laura Penny proclamation, party. was it? Um, oh, my God. Okay, I saw that. That's exactly who it was. <laughs> okay, I no, I saw that I, yesterday. I I'm never on these her, days. Yeah, I've had a stalker go. for yeah. a few months, so I've been dealing yeah. with stalker. Yeah. No, it's awful. But yeah, you're my break. Oh, God, you're I'm my break for that. my stalker. Yeah. You. <laughs> yeah, bet it is. Yeah, let me see. yeah. That's high praise. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. put that on my no, CV. Me, it's just been <laughs> awful. But, but one thing that I, when I read her quote, I thought, wait, is she backpedaling now? Because she sees the Titanic dumping, like going straight vertical down. Yes. It doesn't. It's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, I, I, I mean, it's got. I, 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 yes, it's interesting, isn't it? The reaction it just provoked in both of us was just to go. Uh, uh, uh. It's just like well, you can't. <laughs> as I said, you can't even pass this stuff because because one sentence contradicts the next. Yeah. It's like well, after her to the recent whinge about the book just, reviews, and I had just, a good laugh with those know, reviews. Um, I just thought, oh, wasn't it? It was high, high comedy. The thing we is, are. it's like, wait a sec, all the actors have sort of snuck mm. out a stage left, you know, and she has you know, skipped over the pond, as it were. But I, I did begin to raise questions in my brain when I realized that she was writing for Netflix. Was she part of that walkout last year, too? Like, what were the who were pulling the strings on that? Because that was a little bit out of nowhere. And but I do think the cross no here between this ideology and the gay community and free speech is poignant because we risk everything. As I wrote to you earlier, I mean, at least during Thatcher and Reagan, yeah. we didn't have to sit about sit about quibbling over what homosexual and man woman means. We can't even get to that point of talking because we have this. Yeah flamethrower of criticism of oh you're just a racist it's like what i was just saying that men are not women but you know how they pull that you're a racist you're a colonialist you have red hair so you know if you're a yeah. ginger for god god forbid so you know the thing is is that mm. everything has sort of been set up in this very yeah. theatrical way where there's automatic traps and if you step over there then oh my god you've just been cis-centric didn't you know you were hetero cis-centric and 
all these made up terms like uh, cis. You don't know what cis is. I'm a real woman. And I said, well, by your own rationale, if we really want to uh, follow cis all the way through, because if you're going to use it, let's follow it all the way through. You are the only cis person in the room. How dare you? You know, this is what I get through on yeah. Twitter. And I'm like, well, no, you're the one claiming you have a gender identity. I don't. You're the one saying yeah. it needs to be fixed. Again, I don't. You're the one going and partaking in procedures and therapies and exactly. names and other theaters to say that you're getting your gender identity fixed, check. So that means that you are really cis since you align with your gender identity, something I'd neither have nor align with. And that's the paradox. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is so deeply, deeply racist because one of their other original sins, apart from in this new religion, apart from assigned female or male at birth, is is colonialization, which instantly tells you this is very white centric because the colonialization that they say is bad is white colonialization. They they don't consider the colonialization or imperial areas of any other um, culture. And, and, and as a black lesbian mate of mine wrote the other day, she said, "Well." If, if you are seriously saying that the sex binary was invented by colonizers, and some of them seriously say this, can you please explain to me how my ancestors of, you know, thousands of years in Africa managed to sexually reproduce? It does seem that they must have been aware, uh, aware of a differentiation between male and female in order that we still have a current population. And there's a, there's a further degree of, I think, benthic a benthic depth of abyssal racism um, to, the, to the whole colonization um, chat, um, which is the idea. Um, I've completely lost my thread. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, God, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, I've, I will make, sorry, I will, I, I will make this point which is that it is it is right i think to conceive of these people generally as colonizers because what you have with words like cis are you have a new set of people with a new language which they are teaching us particularly homosexuals um and telling us one we're not clever enough to understand their new language. Two, we're not clever enough to participate in their new religious rituals and we must be re-educated and taught. And three, and this is their most grievous crime in my estimation, um, we have no history and the history that we have actually all of our rights um, in fact came from, from trans people and we have no agency. Um, we have no role in our own history. I mean, never mind anything we did. Um, in the 80s with, with AIDS. No, the person who f threw the first brick was a, a trans person, at Stone, which, is, which is a lie, um, of course. It, it is simply not correct, but that, that's actually being rolled out in classrooms. And sorry, I've remembered the other thing that I was going to say, which is this. The, um, the, the, the other thing that I think a number, particularly of Black people, take real objection to with the colonization as the original sin model is to say what you are doing here is you're just retelling the noble savage myth 
because what you're doing is you're saying we were an untouched, noble, simple people until you white people came along and taught us what biological sex is. And then guess what? Another group of white people, because gender I consider to be entirely bourgeois white and mainly male, to be honest, um, uh, another group of white people are going to tell us once again why it was that back in the day we were noble savages, but no longer have that status. So, it, 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 you know, the analysis, frankly, um, of um, colonization as, as the original sin in this religion, it, it frankly borders not just sub undergraduate. I mean, this is a teenage level of ethical reasoning, which, you know, the fact it's got any purchase in serious moral, ethical, historical discussions these days is a disgrace and patently ridiculous, in my view. I'd say a lot of it is misreading of some pretty decent texts as well. Mm. I can tell you from my experience when I taught queer theory, and I did, yeah. um, was you. that I taught the I taught the work underneath it that built it. I taught, in fact, Thomas Lecure's book, Making Sex. And I've seen this book misrepresented various times by a lot of the gender activists saying that he's saying that sex is no longer the Galen's model, but it's now what they claim it to be, which is not at all what he says in his book at all. Yeah. He goes through historical models of how sex was considered from Plato to the present, pretty much. Yeah. And it's phenomenal to see that their takeaway from the book is that he's saying that sex can be more and more and more as you wish, like Dr. Specimen from 30 Rock, sex is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. You know, science is whatever you want it to be. That's what his tagline was. So I am a bit appalled by that because the point of Lecure's book was to look at the way in which the language around sex evolved, the way in which the science around understanding how reproduction took place, not from the one cell model, the one egg model and so forth. This is interesting. Yeah. There's also a story, a back, a very old Sufi story of the island of Wakwak where males all reproduced to create children that grew from trees yeah. as fruit. And it was a very, again, monosexual model of understanding the world, but it was fable, it was myth. And so people have taken Lecure's book and blown this up as, no, he's saying that now sex is no longer dimorphic. Well, no, sex, sexual dimorphism has, dimorphism has simply not been proven, disproven amongst humans. We, we are two sexes. And yeah. It's just run so fast all the way through the NGO sector. You mentioned all the organizations that have signed up to this, but the UN has money. The Ford Foundation has given funding for gender ideology to be part of the package. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not surprised. Got, yeah, you've got kids being told in uh, developing countries that they can rely on sex work because that's also part of the narrative of gender ideology. Yeah. So it's quite disturbing to me that what is a purely political ideology has now been wrapped up so firmly in hokum of pseudoscience, wrapped up in university departments and, and readership boards. There are scholarly journals being published about this stuff. I had one piece in part directed at me, in part directed at a few other British scholars about, you know, gender criticism as being akin to Nazism. And this is getting passed by readers. 
desperate absolutely absolutely desperate and i mean as you know there's there's, there's well-known examples of people um, copy pasting bits of mein Kampf and then getting them into gender studies journals um the, the whole thing is disreputable intellectual hogwash um but i mean if if, if it seems to me though politically if, if uh, well, first, I would I, I, I would say what you've identified there is is an absolute failure and an inability to deal with nuance because the analysis of you know uh, make it as you wish um, and to miss the nuance that that is an analysis of language and an analysis of fable um, is either a dis- deliberate misreading or it's an ignorance of a level that that means you're not you. You're not legitimately equipped to deploy that book as an authority in an argument, but it it, it, it seems to be one of the ways of understanding biology denial is to view it as a collapse of the worst features in, of the right and the left. And I just say that riffing off of you saying the you know as you wish, because if you look at I've talked about the aesthetic constellation um of of gyms and pornography and so on but if you look at the political constellation that provided the genesis for biology denial then what you have is um the 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 right wing abandoning patricianism and becoming nakedly consumerist with thatcher reagan and and thereafter so you know what i want now and i'm the consumer and i'm always right you add to that the left wing um sexual liberation um, I want my inter- instant gratification now with no questions and certainly no moral questions and 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 the whole sex work which which, are, which is a phrase I don't like using it is it is the prostitution mainly of poor women um, once you the synthesis and the collapse of those two movements into very very threadbare articulations of selfish human desires and there is a moral dimension to gender which needs examination because you know the right wing i want this now i'm the consumer and the left wing i want this now for sexual gratification are not so very different and if we look at the um, rise in the sort of left wing elite beardy woke bro mass consumer of drugs and so on and so forth what 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 we see i think is a vanishing point of the intellectual failures of left and right um and they lead you to gender because gender is the ultimate free for all it's the ultimate i'm having this right now um i say that this is the case and no one must question me and no one must question me according to a series of rules da, 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 da. now whenever one has a free f- r- rules um particularly the rules i'm familiar with in criminal law are there to protect the weak they're not there to protect the powerful the powerful person is the rapist the powerful person is the murderer the powerful person is the fraudster Criminal law exists to protect the weaker, the vulnerable, who are the victims of that. Now, gender abandons um, rules. It doesn't believe in rules. And so where you have an anarchy of this nature and where you have a failure of life and right and left. And I, and I might remark that the, there's good evidence for it for that proposition in as much as you can see that biology denial is in, sponsored by every corporation on the planet. And it's also sponsored by every trade union on the planet. 
So, um, and I think one must always be suspicious where those two forces meet. One has to be suspicious about what is the collective interest because I don't, I don't think they have collective interests, frankly. Um, um, and and, and when, when you analyze it in that fashion as a form of social collapse of Western um, right-wing thought and left-wing thought, I, I think you get to a sensible point, which is to say, actually, this is just a prescription for quite powerful people. Um, because when we look at the analysis of, oh, these are the most marginalized people on the planet, well, it, it simply doesn't hold out. Right? Now, I've seen a tweet today with um, a person called Charlotte Clymer at a White House dinner with the transgender admiral. Um, you know, I, I've seen the term homosexuality redefined. I, I, I've seen Nicola Sturgeon today saying you shouldn't define the name woman. Oh, sorry, you the word woman. You shouldn't define that in case it offends people. I, I'm sorry, this doesn't sound like the most marginalized people on the planet. That's, you know, that's the first minister of Scotland, the best funded charity in the United Kingdom, and a very senior official in the United States government. Um, I, I, I don't buy it. Sorry, to use an Americanism, I don't buy it. It, 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 <laughs> women would women would only dream to be so oppressed oh absolutely exactly <laughs> exactly no i mean we don't get the yeah. air coverage given to these men how bruce jenner's makeup looks it's like give me a fucking break exactly and these men know that they're adding to the stereotype the build-up that we spent decades chipping away at yeah no now we get to have barbie dolls to say do I look woman enough? It's like, well, no, you actually don't look like any woman I've ever freaking met. Thank yeah. you very much. And, and this is the irony of this movement is that it's steeped in this mirror, a hall of mirrors, where they begin to lose perspective of who the original is, because it's not women. That's for damn sure. No, it, 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 it's, it's a sort of pornographic reimagining of women. And, and we've experienced the same thing in in respect to gay men because um you know there, there was a, there was an article recently or a video recently which i thought was a shameful piece of woke conversion therapy by a chap on youtube saying uh and he sat with a, a trans man who, who i'm sure was you know i'm sure he's a nice person and so on but it, it was here's a guide for gay men on how to eat pussy um with the injunction um, oh, this doesn't make you any less gay. In fact, it makes you more gay, which, which I consider just to be out and out conversion therapy, because it, it, it seems to me that heterosexual oral sex cannot properly be described as homosexual gay male um, oral sex. I mean, I sound like I'm going yeah. mad here, don't I? Um, <laughs> but I, I notice that the number of, and I don't think this is an accident, that the number of, because I, I clicked through and I, I looked at the background of the people involved, but I noticed that the number of the trans men who were involved were heavily involved in pornography and were heavily involved in a sort of pornified, extremely sexual um, appreciation of what being to their mind, a homosexual male was, you know, th this wasn't poetry about, you know, liking the smell of a man or anything like that. Th this was down and dirty. Here's what we say it is. It was an entirely sexual um, understanding of um, the proposition of gay male masculinity, um, homosexuality. And I think the same is true in, in what you've just said about 
um, you know, the Bruce Jenner stuff and that. There, there's a pornographic element. Um, in, in, almost that's the lens through which womanhood is understood, you know. And I think it was Jermaine Greer said, or Professor Greer said, you know, can any other woman that age dressing like that would have had the hell ripped out of her you know it's just it's just a different it's a, there's an unreality to it and a, and a very clear double standard of play